Good evening, good morning, depending where you are. So I'd like to speak a little bit more about metta and also the other three Brahma Viharas today. You know, taking off where uh, what Adam Adipa mentioned this morning about the teachings the Buddha gave to the, the Kalamas. And you know, she was speaking about first, you know, we, we uh, rein in the um, greed, hatred, and, and delusion, reining it in with the, with the four precepts. And then once they are kind of reined in, we can work on uh, transforming those. And, and then after that, you know, they, the practice, the ground is cleared for, for the practice of the Brahma Viharas. Starting with metta, then metta, loving kindness, karuna, compassion, mudita, sympathetic joy or gladness and ubeka equipoise and uh, you know in a, in a nutshell that uh, what that kind of expresses for me is start where you are by bringing mindfulness and awareness to to the present moment experience whatever it is greed ill will all of the uh, you know difficult emotions when we can be with them in the present moment and have the support of the precepts, the ethics, then we can just like hold that experience, how difficult it can be, and just, you know, allow ourselves to be cooked soft, to be transformed through that experience of the energy, the turmoil of the energy, not splitting off the energy by you know, trying to get rid of that uh, turmoil by saying something or doing something or ingesting something which you know is like splitting off the energy or splitting the off the energy into the head and and going into excessive thinking so whenever you know we can bring mindfulness and awareness means you know just being with the experience and allowing the the churning allowing the the difficult to just be there with the clear knowing it's going to change because it always does. And to develop this capacity to tolerate that, this discomfort that's so central for me in the practice. And uh, In order to be able to do that, we have to bring up what's called the seven factors of awakening, the seven bodhanga. The first one is sati, mindfulness. So, you know, bringing mindfulness to what's happening in the present moment, whatever it is, greed, hatred, uh, or delusion, whatever experience is present, and then taking really taking an interest in that experience, even if it's this is discomfortable. And then in order to be able to stay with the experience, we need to bring up some energy. And then if you really manage to stay with the experience, a sense of joy, a subtle sense of joy arises, or at least a sense of contentment of really being in the present moment, not hunting after a different experience. So that would be already the first four factors of awakening. 
And then when joy arises, the mind starts to, to settle down, to calm down. Be the fifth factor of awakening. And then a mind which is reasonably calm starts to collect, starts to uh, become more stable, samadhi. And then it, it uh, develops also upeka, equipo, equanimity, a uh, balance with whatever the experience brings to us of the present moment. And then that balance again enables us to be more mindful, to be, be more able to stay with the experience. And in that way, those seven factors of awakening go deeper and deeper into our present moment experience. And through this going deeper, we can see the conditionality. We can see the process nature of our experience. And there's more space around it. And through that space, spaciousness, we can see ever more clearly. So that's, you know, a, a short way of uh, laying out how the transformation happens by being with and then allowing it to be what it is, holding it and then allowing it to do it, seeing not, you know, not messing around with it, just allowing it to do it, its own thing, but being with it and allowing the process to speak for itself, allowing the Dhamma to speak for itself. And, um, you know, metta is, is, a, is a result of being able to, to stay with the process and experiencing the suffering and also that the, when we are with it, that this suffering holds a lot of potential in, inside of it. If we can stay with it long enough, it's going to open up and then we can see the Dhamma in action, basically. And... Uh, so metta or also the other Brahma Viharas can be like also, you know, looked at as a, as a product of a alchemical process of uh, allowing things to be what they are and then seeing clearly the conditioned nature of all of this. And, uh, and also going through the fire being cooked by whatever is, you know, whatever life throws at us, but just stopping and, and allowing it to be what it is with the clear knowing and that it's going to change. And, uh, you know, opening basically to the, you know, to the experience of, Grasping, you know, grasping and clinging, really noticing the result of that, the tightness, you know, the, the, the suffering of that. And if you see that really clearly, then the letting go is a, is a natural result of that. In the same, you know, like a passionate laugh, you know, the, the real grasping and holding on of passionate laugh if we really stay with that long enough with the seven factors of awakening, that kind of passionate love starts to transform into, into metta. 
into unconditional love. And, you know, my mother language is German, and the German word for passion is Leidenschaft, which is brilliant, really, because if, it, if I would translate that word into English, it means to produce suffering. Leiden is suffering, and Schaffen is to produce, to, to make. You know, and, and by really staying with that process in, in the body and in the mind, we can really see how that is actually creating the suffering. And if we can allow ourselves to really experience it fully, it, it starts to open up, it starts to transform. And in the Christian tradition, it's also spoken about that unconditional love. It's called agape in the Christian tradition. And it's, uh, it's the result of transforming eros, passionate love, through being with it. And I've uh, recently uh, read um, an article and there was, it was written there, agape is the result of eros, raised to the power of gnosis or insight. I thought it's a very cool way, you know, of uh, expressing that uh, process in a short way. And translated into the Buddhist tradition, we could say metta is the result of tanha, craving, raised to the power of mindfulness, awareness, or satipanya. Allowing what, whatever is here, however uninspiring the experience might be, or, or, you know, like just simply being obsessed with something and just allowing the obsession to be there and experience fully what's the benefit of this, you know. Probably there's no benefit to it, but we really need to know it fully, deeply have the courage, you know, have the interest to really experience it and not going into suppression or into kind of uh, turning away because it's embarrassing or, you know, I'm already practicing for so long and still I have these feelings and needs. To really have the courage to fully turn towards it. Because, you know, it's so important to, um, you know, to develop that capacity for discomfort in the practice and, and the courage to, to be who we are in the moment. Of course, you know, with some um, support, such as the precepts, for example, but within that framework to just really allow internally the process to um, find its own way, you know, the trusting that intelligence, which is already there, because, you know, all, uh, I think we all, we all have this inner drive towards, you know, towards, um, overcoming that sense of separateness. That is, you know, very much at the core of our being, that, that great yearning towards arriving somewhere. Even we can't really put it into words, but we are on a journey, really. And uh, 
and that journey has it has its own intelligence and then you know to be able to um, really engage in it needs courage and you know acceptance patience all of those you know rather un non-flamboyant qualities or in the Christian tradition it's called um, perfect meekness humility which means you know to just bowing down to our experience as it is and allowing that to change us so that, that the yearning energy you know gets slowly transformed and becomes you know wider and wider and wider until there's no more separation And in the Buddhist tradition, you know, the tantric traditions in the Vajrayana, and there's also, I think, branch in, in, in the Hindu tradition, you know, where, where this uh, yearning energy is, is, is harnessed, you know, either, you know, yearning for something or yearning for another, for another person, you know, and allowing that uh, to be really inflamed and working with this inflamedness, you know. It's, it can be a, a quite dangerous way of practicing. But if, if we know what we are doing, if there is a good um, guide who can help us, it can be a very powerful process. And, uh, you know, a very paradoxical process where we are, you know, basically using that which, which is potentially you know, leading it as, can lead us astray on the path, but where that is used to really, you know, uh, reflect back to us what's in there, you know, the conditioning. Because we can't believe, you know, we already have, you know, no more or not much greed left, and then suddenly something happens. We have a certain experience or we meet a certain person and suddenly, you know, something gets triggered and, you know, we might not have been aware of it for many, many years that there's still a lot of energy in this regard. It can be very surprising. So, you know, if we are trying to uh, artificially, you know, keep the emotions low by, by living a life, a controlled life, we can easily, you know, lie to ourselves. So, you know, in these tantric practices, you know, we, the practitioner moves right through that beloved situation or beloved person through into realization of emptiness. Or in the, um, you know, in the um, Christian tradition, it's, it's uh, you know, moving, moving, into the, moving to God through that relationship with, the beloved and in the gospel there's the you know the story of uh, Mary Magdalene and uh, Jesus the the relationship between the two of them these days you know it's considered that they had a relationship like that which uh, you know aroused a lot of uh, distrust 
in the in society around them, but was fundamentally freeing for for the people who are engaged in it. And uh, very important, you know, do not use the practice to, and the precepts and all of those, you know, guidelines as a means to uh, turn away from experience, but use it as a support to fully turn towards and have that stability so we can allow whatever needs to happen to happen and change us from inside. And, you know, there are relationship with a, with a teacher who is uh, really has only the best of intentions in his or her mind, you know, and is really well grounded, can be very, very um, uh, expedient means, you know, to speed up the process. And if, if the teacher isn't really grounded and know what he or she is doing, a lot of harm can happen and has happened. Because it's, it's, yeah, it's very, very um, powerful energies get shaken up, you know. Hell gets shaken loose in a way. And uh, you know, if we have the capacity to really name what is happening and have the courage to be with it, it is it is can be extremely fruitful. And uh, the word the word apathy, the English word apathy, you know, is from the Greek uh, word patean, which means to suffer. And apathy is the negation of the of suffering. You know, not, not having the capacity to suffer leads to apathy. You know, to like a shutting down, to not being able to engage, you know, to becoming kind of frozen. And we are blocked, stunted, stuck. And then we either explode it at one point or implode, but there's there's no good results. So we really need to, um, you know, keep the the heart open. And. Uh, you know, use both uh, both uh, ways of practice. There's uh, the more the cool practices, the inside practices, vipassana. You know, looking at the three characteristics and uh, the four noble truths, and looking at our experience in this way. And the warm practices, the the brahmavihara practices. You know, embracing the way things are, and just allowing things to reveal themselves in, the, in their own manner rather than cutting into it. And there are at, at different times, different uh, practices are the right thing to do and we have to learn to, you know, what, what is suitable for us and for our, our characters, our karma, 
and just you know allow those two sides of the coins to work together. And and the four Brahma Viharas are you know, four tones, four facets of universal empathy. They are not emotions, but they are you know, qualities or dimensions of the heart. And uh, this capacity for empathy, you know, and empathy has the same root as the word apathy. You know, someone who who is apathetic that has doesn't have the capacity for empathy, can't stay in relationship because it's maybe too much suffering. Too much fear. It's a shutting down. And this, you know, this our capacity for empathy as as human beings enables us to, you know, to team up in huge groups. It's it's the glue of civilization, really. And. Uh, You know, when in the, you know, in the ancient past of our species, you know, when we became aware of the role of the male in the procreation, which wasn't clear for a long time, you know, when then some social stability started to set in, then um, because of this capacity for empathy, you know, the brains of uh, human children, you know, became bigger and bigger. The children had to stay longer and longer with the parents or at least with the mother in order to, you know, become mature. So that's all interrelated, the capacity for empathy, the team up, social stability, all of that, you know, works together in the evolution of our species. It's a very important ingredient, you know, in the formation of our species. And there's four images, you know, to to this to kind of um, similes really, you know, to bring out the differences of the four Brahma Viharas with Metta being at the root of the four Brahma Viharas. Metta is, you know, the image for Metta would be like a mother with her little baby, you know, and she, with her life, she protects that little baby to be safe. That's like Metta. That's the root of all of the Brahma Viharas, that wish for this being, this beloved being to be safe. And we can also, you know, bring that uh, Metta to our own uh, beingness. And then the next one, compassion, karuna, is turning this openness, you know, this openness of the heart, turning it towards the suffering of others. That would be karuna. Or anukampa is, a, is another word also for compassion, which is more active. And karuna is more the meditative um, version of compassion, we could say. You know, wishing another being to be free from suffering and free from harm and also free from the intention to harm. So that's Karuna. And then the next one is Mudita, uh, sympathetic joy or um, gladness. 
<laughs> and that would be, you know, using, uh, turning this open heart towards the flourishing of others. You know, like a mother, for example, um, who is takes pride in her child being successful at some kind of competition or in school. And, you know, the gladness which that brings up. And with the compassion, I forgot to uh, mention the image, would be like a mother, you know, sitting at the bed of a sick child and and would do anything, you know, for that child to get well again. She'd even take on the suffering. And the fourth one, equipoise, you know, using the, the open heart and turning it towards the depths and the heights of life the ups and downs and seeing, you know, that's just how it is a constant changing up and down, up and down, up and down. And that the images in this case, it's not a mother, but it's a grandmother, you know, who's seen everything under the sun, all of the ups and downs for many, many, many years. And she can just, okay. It's just like another one of those, you know, and she can be at ease with that. And, you know, allow the child to make its mistakes because she knows the child has to learn by him or herself. She can't give that knowledge because it needs to be experienced individually, but otherwise, as the scriptures say. You know, we need to go through the process and then we know for ourselves because intellectual knowing isn't powerful enough can be like a signpost, you know, to, to look in the right direction, but then we have to really look and and be changed through it. And then also there is this uh, so-called near and far enemies of the of Metta and also the other Brahma Viharas which I would also like to mention a little bit because, you know, that's the uncomfortable emotional states which we need to have the courage to turn towards so that we can transform them. And for metta, the near enemy is attachment the far enemy would be anger. So near enemy is something which looks quite similar, but is actually not because it comes from grasping. And the far enemy is, is the obvious the obvious opposite. So for me, that'd be attachment and anger. For, for Karuna, compassion, it will be the near enemy is sadness, you know, getting lost in the suffering of another. And the far enemy would be apathy, you know, not caring, shutting down. And that's all, you know, states of the heart, states of the mind, which we can experience with mindfulness and awareness and really take an interest in, you know, where does it come from? What's underneath? Obviously, probably some kind of fear. And then really being with that. And then mudita, 
the near enemy would be excitement, you know, getting really excited about the success of someone else and, you know, getting a little bit um, all over the place. And uh, the far enemy is jealousy. We can experience that in ourselves very well, I think. Even they're both rather unpleasant, especially that jealousy. And then Ubeka, Equipoise, the near enemy, looks quite similar to Ubeka, is not Ubeka though, is indifference, not, you know, not caring, turning away. And the far enemy would be, you know, restlessness, getting completely... Um, you know, wound up and and uh, not really knowing what to do and just being unable to be with the uncertainty, with the not knowing. Because very often, you know, to be with that uncertainty, to be with that not knowing is, is necessary for some clarity to come through when the time is right. So that's you know, those uh, near and far enemies and, you know, really being with the discomfort and the uncertainty of that process is totally necessary for the next step and the next step to become apparent. And I think the more often we have really been able to hold steady with the turmoil, and then it always, you know, shifts at one point. And if you have seen that shifting, if you have seen that a few times really very clearly our faith, our um, confidence in our capacity to hold steady and to be with that, you know, and to recognize what is what, become stronger and stronger. I can totally see that in my own practice, you know, over the, not like just by looking back on a few weeks or a few months even, but 30 years, you know, 20 years, how different it is now. It really is, is uh, any time nowadays, you know, or many times, let's say, when, when a difficult situation arises, I, you know, I might not immediately, but quite soon, the, the thought comes up, you know, that it will find its way. I don't need to, um, you know, engage in any of those far enemies. <clears throat> I just need to turn towards what's happening right now <clears throat> and be with it. And, and experiencing the grasping, what it does. Because then you know the, the, there's an uh, there's a natural response of the mind and just dropping it like a hot coal. And then you know when the mind drops the grasping, then the brahmaviharas are natural dimension of 
the mind which is open. And metta is the root of all the Brahma Viharas because it's the opening of the heart and the wish, you know, for safety or for protection of, of all sentient beings, you know, for well-being, really. And we are also part of that, you know, family of sentient beings. So we have to start with ourselves because if we can't really be with our own suffering, it's not possible for us to be with the suffering of another. So, you know, this uh, practice of metta is really a natural response to the other two practices we have been speaking about, you know, looking at the body, looking at our incredible vulnerability, you know, having these bodies which are just like conglomerations of, of bits and pieces, you know, who all work together in unison. It's a mystery, you know, we have very little control over that. And then the certainty of death, death is inevitable. We don't know when it will come. And, you know, we have borrowed these bodies from the elements as a riding animal for this lifetime. All of those uh, truths, they're pretty mind-boggling, actually. You know, if you really allow them to inform our experience, And then mysteriously enough, you know, that, that uh, you know, putting out the carpet from underneath, you know, there is no certainty about all of this. It's all a constantly changing process. But if we really allow that to fully inform us, then oddly enough, you know, the mind and the heart respond with opening because it's true. And then, you know, if we, experience for example the suffering of ourselves then you know having had a, an inkling of that truth then that can bring up compassion with with our own suffering or metta and then also with the suffering of others because we we are on one level we know the suffering is just a result of not fully understanding yet the truth of Emptiness, anatta. So it's a very you know it's it's like the blossoming of a flower. We don't need to do anything much. We just you know not uh, interrupting it and giving a bit of water and need sunshine and, and some uh, nourishment and then those beautiful lilies will you know will uh, appear and I think you know this sequence of practices we are 
sharing with you over this retreat is it's kind of similar, you know, the, the body parts and the elements and, the, and death, you know, that's like the manure and, and the, the earth and all of this kind of messy stuff, you know, and now it starts to flourish. We see the flower, you know, and then the Buddha is, you know, is the mind which experiences all of this. And then adjusts, you know, more and more to the way things are and, and suffering is uh, transformed into wisdom and compassion. And that's really, you know, for me, it's kind of at certain times, you know, it just stops the mind because the mind can't really, the mind is like somebody limping behind all of this, you know. It can't, it can't really get it. But the heart can uh, get it in a split second, you know, not by thinking about it, but by intuiting it. That this is, true and you know this is why these practices are so precious because they you know they massage the mind you know in the right ways so that it can open up to this yeah I think that's all I wanted to share with you today and uh, we have some more time now to sit together, about a bit, a bit less than 30 minutes. So please find a posture. And I just leave you to it for this uh, time now.
So now we are coming slowly to the end of the meditation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.